Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for April, May and June 2012 titled Major Lessons from Minor Prophets It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired and through the services of Adventist Media Network Lesson 2 for April 6-12 to 12, Love and Judgment, God's Dilemma with Hosea Sabbath afternoon, April 6. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we open your word again this week, we want to thank you that even though the Bible sometimes seems to be difficult to understand, that if we look carefully, we can see your hand there. We can see your love. We can see your kindness and your generosity. And Lord, as we open your word this week in the book of Hosea, We pray that your Spirit will be there to guide each one of us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our memory text this week is Hosea chapter 12, verse 6. But you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. Let's read that again, Hosea 12, verse 6. But you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. And the key thought is, Hosea reveals more of God's love for his wayward people. A common way in which biblical authors talk about God's love relationship with his people is by using metaphors. A metaphor conveys something profound about a lesser-known subject through something that is already known or familiar. Metaphors are symbols used to explain something other than themselves. The two most commonly used biblical metaphors regarding God's relationship with his people are husband and wife and parent-child metaphors. Last week we looked at the husband-wife metaphor. This week we will look into a few more of Hosea's metaphors, the most dominant of which is the parent-child one. Hosea uses metaphors for the same reasons that Jesus taught in parables. First, to explain truths about God through the familiar things of life. Second, to impress on people's minds important spiritual principles that could be applied in everyday existence. Sunday, April 7. Easily deceived and senseless. Hosea chapter 7, verses 11 and 12 reads, Ephraim is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless, now called to Egypt, now turning to Assyria. When they go, I will throw my net over them, I will pull them down like birds of the air. When I hear them flocking together, I will catch them. Question. These verses need to be read in context. What warning is being given here? What principle can we take from these verses for ourselves? Well, let's read them in context. Let's begin with verse 8. Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. Aliens have devoured his strength, but he does not know it. 
Yes, grey hairs are here and there on him, yet he does not know it. And the pride of Israel testifies to his face, but they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. Ephraim also is like a silly dove without sense. They call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. Wherever they go, I will spread my net on them. I will bring them down like birds of the air. I will chastise them according to what their congregation has heard. Woe to them, for they have fled from me. Destruction to them, because they have transgressed against me. Though I redeemed them, yet they have spoken lies against me. Ephraim was the name of the younger son of Joseph. Because Ephraim was the name of the principal tribe of the northern kingdom of Israel, the name is applied to the entire kingdom, just as the name Judah was applied to the kingdom in the south. In the above verses, Israel is compared to a senseless bird, allowing itself to be an easy prey for the fowler's net. Let's just compare that with Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 21. Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, who have ears and hear not. In this context, her reliance on other nations for help was an act of rebellion against God. Why? Because an alliance with the mighty Assyrian Empire or ambitious Egypt would require Israel to recognize the supremacy of the gods worshipped by those two superpowers. Let's also look at Isaiah chapter 52 verse 4. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there, then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. And Lamentations chapter 5 and verse 1. Remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Look and behold our reproach. Going to them would mean of necessity turning away from the Lord. What they needed to do was return to the Lord, repent, obey his commandments, and put away their false gods. That was their only hope, not political alliances with pagans. The Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 4, page 908, reads, The very position of Palestine exposed it to invasion by these two ancient empires. The much-coveted prize for which these powerful empires fought was this highway that connected the rich watersheds of the Nile and the Euphrates. The kingdoms of Israel and Judah were caught in this international counterplay and squeezed between the two rivals. In desperation, without spiritual trust in her God, Israel fatuously appealed first to one and then to the other for a support that could only turn into a snare to her own national well-being. So to finish the day, it's so easy to seek human aid for our problems instead of seeking the Lord, is it not? Of course, the Lord can use human agents in answer to our prayers. How can we be sure that in desperate situations and in need of help, we do not make the same mistake that Israel did here? How can we use human aid without, by necessity, turning away from the Lord?
Monday, April 8, a trained heifer. Question. Read Hosea chapter 10, verses 11 through to 13. What message is the Lord giving to his people here? How do we understand the phrase, until he comes and showers righteousness on you? Beginning at verse 11, Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh grain, but I harnessed her fair neck. I will make Ephraim pull a plough. Judah shall plough. Jacob shall break his cods. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fellow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. You have ploughed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity, you have eaten the fruit of lies, because you trusted in your own way, in the multitude of your mighty men. In Hosea chapter 10, God's child Ephraim is compared to a trained heifer, who loves to thresh grain because she can eat as she threshes. Thus, instead of being productive, Israel's existence has become self-centred. When God yokes Israel to work in open fields as the nation should, righteousness and kindness will grow. In Bible times, the yoke was an instrument of service. Young beasts of burden were trained to be docile by working first on the threshing floor. And we can read about that in uh, Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 11. And that reads, Because you were glad, because you rejoiced, you destroyers of my heritage, because you have grown fat like a heifer threshing grain, and you bellow like bulls. While yoked, they simply would thresh corn with their feet. At the same time, they pulled a threshing sledge over the corn. And we can uh, read about that too in Second Samuel chapter 24 and verse 22. Now Aranoah said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing implements, and the yokes of the oxen for wood. This type of work prepared them for the more disciplined task of ploughing a furrow in a field. We can read about that in First Kings verses 19 and verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was ploughing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. God had a similar plan in his training of Israel. He would put a yoke on Ephraim's fair neck to make him work hard in the ploughing and breaking up of the soil. In Hosea chapter 10 verse 12, the prophet presents what the Lord desires Israel to be through obedience to his word. Righteousness and steadfast love are the gifts promised by God to his wife when the covenant is renewed. And we read about that in Hosea chapter 2 verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. If people sow righteousness, they will reap kindness in return. Only by searching for the Lord and his will can Israel be delivered from the coming punishment. The door of mercy is still open for possible repentance on the part of God's chosen people. The admonition to sow righteousness concerns people-to-people relationships. The search for God concerns the relationship between God and his people. 
The breaking up of the soil represents spiritual and social reform and renewal. The Lord and His people will work together in a mutual relationship to bring blessings back to the land. The results will be a glorious blossoming that will fill the whole earth, as described in Hosea chapter 14, verses 5 to 7. I will be like the Jew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread. His beauty shall be like an olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. Those who dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. So to finish today, read Christ's invitation to take his yoke upon ourselves in Matthew eleven, twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How can learning from Christ to be gentle and humble in heart help us to find rest for our souls? Tuesday, April 9, A Toddling Son Hosea 11, verses 1 and verse 3 read, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. In these verses, Hosea is saying that the Lord's way is like the tender care of a new parent. Just as a parent tenderly and patiently teaches a child to walk, taking it up by his hands to prevent its fall, so the Lord has cared for Israel right from the beginning. God, who loves and forgives, is the heart of Hosea's message. Even when he applies discipline, he is deeply compassionate. His anger can be terrifying, but his mercy is beyond comprehension. Question Read Deuteronomy 8.5, Proverbs 13.24, Hebrews 12.6 and Revelation 3.19. What is the one point that these verses all have in common? And what comfort can we draw from these texts? Well, first of all, Deuteronomy 8.5. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. And Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. And Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Through Moses, God informed the Egyptian king that Israel was his special child. And we can read about that in Exodus chapter 4 and verses 22 and 23. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, 
Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. Although all the nations of the earth, including Egypt, were God's sons and daughters, the Hebrew nation was selected to be God's firstborn son with special privileges. But along with those privileges came responsibilities. In the wilderness, the Lord carried his people in the same way in which a father carries his son, as expressed in Deuteronomy 1.31. At times, he disciplined them, just like a man disciplines his son, as recorded in Deuteronomy 8.5. In the book Education, page 151, Ellen White writes, All who in this world render true service to God or man receive a preparatory training in the school of sorrow. The weightier the trust and the higher the service, the closer is the test and the more severe the discipline. There's no question that any parent who loves his children will discipline them, and always for their own good. If flawed and fallen humans do this, how much more so can we trust in God's love for us, even during times of trial? And to finish the day, for many of us, the issue is not about trusting God's discipline. Rather, we struggle in knowing how to interpret the trials that come our way. How do we know if what we are going through is indeed God teaching us in the school of sorrow, or if it is something else? Bring your answer to class on Sabbath. Wednesday, April 10. Compassion Stronger Than Anger Question. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zebaim? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again. For I am God, and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. That's Hosea chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. This passage serves as a window into God's heart. Will God hand his rebellious son over to be stoned to death as required by law? In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 to 21, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city, to the gate of his city, and they shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, he is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Uh, we can also look at uh, Genesis chapter 19 and verses 17 to 23. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords. 
Indeed now your servant has found favour in your sight, and you have increased your mercy which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me, and I die. See now this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me go there, let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to them, See, I have favoured you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. What an amazing insight into both God's own suffering due to human sin and his desire to save us. Even though sinful Israel deserved total destruction, the Lord, in his enduring mercy, continues to love his people while striving for their repentance. In Abraham's time, there were five cities situated in the Jordan Valley, southeast of the Dead Sea. We can read about that in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 8. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adnah, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is, Zor, went out and joined together in a battle in the valley of Sidim. Known as the cities of the plain, they were Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Zor. Of these, only Zor was not destroyed. The names of the other four became proverbial for the total destruction that came upon them due to their wicked ways and unwillingness to repent. Uh, we can read about that too in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 23. The whole land is brimstone, salt and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zoboam, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. It was to some of these cities that Hosea was referring in the above verses. Hosea 11 teaches that God's ways transcend those of sinful humanity. He will not let bitterness govern his decisions. God's love seeks to bring healing, health and restoration to his people. The purpose of divine discipline is to correct, amend and reconcile, not to destroy and avenge. Many people, even professed Christians, do not understand that aspect of God, but instead see him as vengeful, angry, and just looking to find fault in order to punish them for their sins. Even worse, some believe that he burns the lost in hell for eternity. That, however, is not the picture of God presented here. So to finish the day, read Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, and 1 Peter 2, 24, and Galatians 3.13. How do these texts, even more than the ones we see in Hosea, reveal the extent of God's love for humanity? First of all, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then 1 Peter chapter 2.24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. And Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Thursday, April 11. Healed, loved and nurtured. Question. Some ancient scholars viewed the Lord as revealed in the Old Testament as harsh and unforgiving, in contrast to Jesus as revealed in the New. Why is that such a wrong conclusion? How does the message of Hosea chapter 14 help to show just how wrong that conclusion is? What does this chapter reveal about God's character and love for his people. Well, let's read the whole chapter. It consists of just nine verses. O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity, receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Assyria shall not save us, we will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, You are our gods, for in you the fatherless finds mercy. I will heal their backsliding, I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. I will be like the Jew to Israel, he shall grow like the lily, and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread, his beauty shall be like an olive tree, and his fragrance like Lebanon." Those who dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard and observed him. I am like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. The last chapter of Hosea is a fitting climax to the message proclaimed by the prophet. It reaffirms the promise that God's salvation will have the last word. The chapter opens with one more call to turn away from all iniquity. In bidding the people to return to God, the prophet supplies the actual words that they should say in worship. Their request should be that God take away the guilt that made them stumble. They should also renounce their dependence on the other nations and totally reject idolatry. In Bible times, no person was supposed to appear before the Lord empty-handed. We read that in Exodus chapter 23 and verse 15. You shall Keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. So, beyond bringing an animal sacrifice, the people are told to bring words of genuine repentance as their thanksgiving offering. Then, Following a penitential confession on the people's part, God responds with a series of promises. The foremost of these is the healing of the people's maladies by the divine physician. God's renewed relationship with Israel is likened to the dew that provides the only moisture available to flowers and trees during the long and dry summer season in Palestine. 
It is also linked to the olive tree, which is considered especially valuable, a sort of crown of the fruit trees. Its foliage provides shade and freshness, and its oil is used as food, skin lotion, and as fuel for lights. Additionally, the great cedars of Lebanon are considered the most useful of the large-growth trees in the lands of the Bible. Their highly prized lumber serves for the construction of temples and royal palaces. We can have a look at that in 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. So he built the temple and finished it, and he panelled the temple with beams and boards of cedar. And he built side chambers against the entire temple, each five cubits high. They were attached to the temple with cedar beams. The roots planted by God will produce such an abundance of fresh plants that Israel will become a garden full of blessings for the whole world. So to finish the day, read the last verse of the chapter. What conditions are required for all these promises to be fulfilled? Why is it so different for us today in our role as Seventh-day Adventists? The last verse reads, Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Friday, April 12. From the book Desire of Ages, page 34, Through nature, through types and symbols, through patriarchs and prophets, God has spoken to the world. Lessons must be given to humanity in the language of humanity. The principles of God's government and the plan of redemption must be clearly defined. The lessons of the Old Testament must be fully set before men. And from Prophets and Kings, page 108, Through long dark years, when ruler upon ruler stood up in bold defiance of heaven and led Israel deeper and still deeper into idolatry, God sent message after message to his backslidden people. Through his prophets, he gave them every opportunity to stay the tide of apostasy and to return to him. Never was the kingdom of Israel to be left without noble witnesses to the mighty power of God to save from sin. Even in the darkest hours, some would remain true to their divine ruler and in the midst of idolatry would live blameless in the sight of a holy God. These faithful ones were numbered among the goodly remnant through whom the eternal purpose of Jehovah was finally to be fulfilled. And that brings us to our five discussion questions for this week. 1. It has been suggested that through Hosea's life and ministry, God's word to Israel was in a sense become flesh. How is this idea only a small reflection of the great truth about the humanity of Jesus? Let's look at John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Ancient Israel did not depart from God overnight. Instead, its apostasy was a gradual process. 
prepare to share with your class members some of the ways in which one can remain faithful to God's eternal principles in a constantly changing world. 3. Some people believe that the gospel message about God's great love and salvation is presented clearly only in the New Testament and not in the Old. What is wrong with that idea? 4. In class, go over your answer to Tuesday's final question. And 5. The Old Testament was the Bible that Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul read. Look into the New Testament quotations from Hosea that are found in Matthew 9.13 and Romans 9.26. How did Jesus and Paul use the gospel message in Hosea to proclaim truth to us? Well, first of all, let's look at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Romans chapter 9 and verses 25 and 26. As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. Inside Story The Second Hand Church Pamela Abiro sat beside her mud house in Kenya and listened to the preacher's sermon over the loudspeaker. She was curious about the Seventh-day Adventist meetings being held on a nearby vacant lot, even though she belonged to another church. The messages touched Pamela's heart, and at times she felt that the speaker talked directly to her. So, on Sabbath morning, she took her five children to the meetings instead of to her own church. When the pastor invited those who wanted to have special prayer to come forward, Pamela took her children to the front. Her husband had died, and she was the sole supporter of her family. Life was difficult. Pamela had been an ardent member of the charismatic church to which she belonged. She had donated the land on which the church members built their mud-brick home of worship. So, when she did not attend church for three weeks, some church members visited and asked why she was no longer attending. I have found truth that I never knew before, she told them simply, and I am learning how to properly raise my family. Pamela and her children joined the nearest Seventh-day Adventist church, which was three miles or five kilometres from her home. Then she learned that the charismatic church to which she had belonged had abandoned the mud-brick church they had built on her land. Pamela invited the church members to hold small group worship services in the abandoned building, and the church accepted her offer. When Pamela's friends from her former church asked her questions about why she had left, she shared with them new truths she had learned and invited them to worship in the new Seventh-day Adventist church, their former building. So far, three of her friends have joined the Seventh-day Adventist group that worships in the Mud Brick Church. The little congregation of twenty-five met in the Mud Brick Church for a year before it deteriorated to where it was no longer safe. The church members decided to rebuild with more permanent materials. 
Pamela makes and sells porridge and buns to provide for her children. She is poor, but she shares with those in need when she can. When her friends laugh at her poor house, she smiles and tells them, My God is my husband and my provider. He is so good to my family. I cannot thank him enough. Your mission offerings reach searching hearts like Pamela's around the world. Thank you. This podcast of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, the Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful.